Welcome to Game Over Montreal. That was a wild game. Frankly, uh, I don't think it was necessarily the Canadians' best effort, but let's remember that they were leading pretty much from the outset, so a lot of score effects were at play up until that third period. But uh, they locked it down. Anytime where the game got close, they pushed New Jersey further. So big difference between that and the first game against the New Jersey Devils for the Montreal Canadiens. So let's welcome in our guest today. It's Ian Boisvert from Rabbit Habs and the Build Podcast. How you feeling about the build right now, Ian? If, you know, it's not complete, they're not close, but it's a lot more entertaining than it was in January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree with you there. I have to say this team is way more fun to cover right now than it was in January. It's, I mean, it's night and day, frankly, beginning of February was probably the worst, you know, like, oh, geez, right before the coaching change where it was like every game they were getting blown out. So at least they score a bit now. I know their scoring isn't spectacular under St. Louis outside of that top line, but uh, everybody kind of got in on it tonight. The only line that really struggled was the hailing line, which uh, they started to get it a little bit in the third period, but through the first 40, maybe even the first 50, uh, I believe they had no shot attempts. They were 0-12 yeah. and two goals against. So sometimes things just go against you like that. And for the kid line, it wasn't a banner night. No, I and I actually, I feel bad because I didn't notice Paling was playing until the third period. <laughs> like the announcers, like Ryan Paling up the boards. I'm like, I didn't even know he was in the game. Um, I think it speaks a little bit more to, you know, also how the other three lines all had their moments throughout the game. Um, Yoel Armia woke up and had one of those like beast Yoel Armia games all of a sudden. Um, he scored a goal where he didn't dust the puck off 30 times before shooting it. He didn't really have enough time. He just fired it as soon as he could. Um, so yeah, that, that fourth line struggled, but um, there were, there are bits to take away from every other line that I liked a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I noticed Paling was uh, playing, I think it was in the second period. He had a big shot block. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, he's back in the lineup. I, Yeah, it was good. What I was most surprised about is I didn't notice uh, Yolonen as much because he's just been such a, a highlight every time he's been called up this year. So rough game overall from them. But yeah, every other line had some good moments. Uh, David Savard had some good moments. I thought Alex Romanov was really strong tonight. The only thing with Romanov continues to be his offensive zone decision making. That's That's the stickler for me. It's just not there. I made a joke uh, both on the live blog at the Montreal Gazette, which I was hosting tonight, and on Twitter. You know, you got to double dip if you think you have a good one. <laughs> that uh, his, his ability to hit almost every single shin pad on the ice instead of the net when he takes a shot is very commissaric like. Yeah. Big commissaric vibes between the hitting and the shooting. But I think uh, Romanov, at the very least, isn't being carried by Markov. So we're seeing him right now trying to carry a pairing, and it's not going terribly. No, it's not going terribly. I still wonder about the long-term um, goals that they have for him, just because I think under you know the uh, the last coach and the last general manager, especially, there was an archetype for that defense that they were trying to build around. It was the Schrats, the Edmonds, the Savards, the 
I'm, you know, the, the guys who are going to beat you on the, on the corner that those kind of guys, I, I think in that respect, like Romanov's done pretty well. If you, if that's the metric you're judging him against, he leads the team in hits. He leads him in block shots. He's playing a ton. Um, like, I think in the second period, I was like, I feel like he's every other shift. He's the defenseman out there. It's just, it's insane to see how much they're using him. I wonder if there's anything more to unlock from him offensively, the kind of defenseman that we saw at the World Juniors, who was just kind of um, a little bit more freewheeling. Um, but even if that doesn't come and you got a third rounder that turns into a third pairing defenseman who is a little bit physical, maybe chips in a couple of assists. It's not a big deal. It's not awful. But I, I, I wonder if this new coaching staff and if anybody else that comes into the organization can help unlock a little bit more offense, not only out of him, but out of the way that they play defense in general. I mean, this team struggles transitioning the puck from defense to, to offense. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I'm encouraged about with Romanov is that for most of his career, he has not been a play driver. And as soon as they traded Ben Sherratt, because he was playing on the right side with Ben Sherratt uh, towards the trade deadline time there, and they were just they were just getting submarined every night, like yeah. just brutalized. And as soon as they made that trade, it's not like his minutes got much easier. And he's been really solid by by all the play driving metrics. Like the team is obviously weaker around him, so it, it's tougher that way as well. And maybe it's easier to stand out with. You know, Petrie not in the lineup, who's a, a fantastic play driver, like the only real play driving defenseman that they have. But I think he's been really solid from a play driving perspective, and he's skating the puck really well. I've noticed he's doing a lot of the stuff that stood out in his first game in the NHL, where he kind of dares a, a four checker to come in while he has the puck, and then he jukes them and skates the puck yeah. out. And I remember in that first game, I was like, you know what? There's a little bit of like uh, Subban confidence in that because Subban loved doing that stuff when he was young. Yeah. Less so tonight, as we saw. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, the speed is not there for PK anymore. It's it's uh, it's kind of sad to watch him right now. What do you mean? He he's, been. he's he's back to scoring goals for the Canadians. That's he put, true. He yeah. The nice tip there. In. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the broadcasters were blaming him on the Dvorak one as well, but I was like, there's there's two defensemen there, and he was the one further up the ice, so I don't know how yeah. much of that is his fault. But, yeah, he's he doesn't look great out there. Uh, tough situation for him being an unrestricted free agent this year, but we'll move on because there's not really that much space to talk about PK right now. Uh, yeah, so Romanov, I've really liked that part of his game coming back, the confidence coming back into his game. It's just the decision-making with the puck that is, remains questionable, and that's going to hold him back. But uh, other than that, uh, I mean, I didn't get to take notes for this game because I had to do the live blog. So I'm going to this is going to be a bit more like flying by the seat of our pants. But I'm going to look through and make sure that I talk about everything that's important. And let's start in with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki because my goodness, those two, they yeah. are something else. Yeah. And, you know, that first goal, especially, I think. I th obviously, a lot of people respect Cole Caulfield scoring goal scoring ability. I think people forget that Nick Suzuki can also, you know, rip it pretty, pretty good, especially from that right side of the ice. The thing on that play that, that stood out to me was Rem Pitlick got the pass from Caulfield as they came over the blue line. Caulfield then made a beeline to the net using the slot and both those defensemen have to respect that. So they back yep. up and it gave Suzuki a football field to shoot from. Like it was, it was, 
Caulfield is, he's always been a guy who knows the ice very well. Um, and I think there he understands I'm not scoring a goal here unless this is a rebound. I'm setting up another teammate. Um, so having both of them on that line has been helpful in that I think, especially tonight, they found each other open in different situations. The stretch pass, I mean, it was more of an area pass that Suzuki gave Caulfield. First of all, I don't know how Caulfield gets that alone that easily. Um, but yeah, I think the that two was of them, all recognition for him, right? You're talking yeah. about it was as soon as he saw Hamilton pinch and Hamilton on Caulfield's goal did the thing that I hate most from defensemen. And Hamilton's a great player, but this is something that he does a lot because he's a very shooty defenseman. And something that I found was very common during Dom Ducharme's tenure in Montreal is he had a wide, sh- like wide, wide angle. And he tried to go far side and it's just so rare that those don't end up in the corner and then bouncing around. And then of course, Suzuki picks it up as it slides up the boards and Caulfield, as soon as he saw uh, the shot come off Hamilton's stick, he was gone. Yeah. You know, like he's just, he's smart, you know, the recognition of plays that comes back to St. Louis talking about allowing players to read, right? Maybe in Ducharme's system, Caulfield isn't allowed to break out there. Maybe he's told to stay in, you know, cover his man in uh, in Hamilton, go down the wall and make sure that you're on him. But yeah. uh, in this system where he's allowed to read and react, he's out. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was almost looked like uh, the kind of stuff Dale Weiss used to do with the Montreal Canadiens, where like as soon as the Canadians got near a puck, he was like, "I'm out, I'm out of the zone." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was like playing five on four, almost all or four on five, almost all the time with Weiss out there because he was skating around in the neutral zone, waiting for a breakaway pass. Well, it's funny, like you mentioned that they're playing, like you know, Caulfield is being encouraged to make that read, even if it looks like he's leaving his defenseman at a, at a disadvantage because he's thinking I'm going to score a goal here, at least get a really good chance. I think that's also bleeding over to their three on three overtime. Mm-hmm. Like it was painful watching the last two coaches try to figure out three on three overtime because there's only so many combinations of Dano Byron you can put out there to start where you don't just get hemmed in immediately. He, St. Louis does get a little cute with that where he'll send Dvorak out to take the face off and then immediately get him off the ice. Kind of understand that, but they're okay. Trading chances with you. I think that kind of, I think that matters moving forward that like these guys are understanding which reads are good. Like what this play worked out. They're going to go back and look at the tape and say, see, look what happened here. Once you see this, we're in good shape. You can take off. Um, I just, it's, it's night and day as far as like what these guys are allowed to do. Um, and I think obviously Caulfield and Suzuki are reaping the benefits of that more than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you see the ability for their best players to be their best player. Right? And you constantly hear that phrase in hockey, like your best players have to be your best players, but that's kind of the issue with those systems that are so focused on defense is that you bring your best players down a peg. And when you need to lean on them to pull you out of a tie game or pull you out of a loss into a win or just into a tie to force overtime, constraining them to a very paint by number system kind of robs their ability to do that. I, I look back at what the Canadians have had throughout the years and man, I just, I wonder what a coach who has St. Louis attitude could have done when the Canadians had, you know, that young trio of Pacioretty, Subban, Price, coming out yeah. of 
you know, that bad year in 2012, they had so much promise. Gallagher, Galchenyuk, you know, what could those guys have been? And I know that's kind of getting on like it's waxing poetic about a bygone era. Weird to think that was nine years ago now. I was on the, the HIO <laughs> show recording yesterday and Jess Rusnak was talking about how it's weird to see Gallagher be like the old man on the line because like just the other day he was on a line with Galchenyuk and Prust as a rookie. And I was like, that was that was nine years ago. <laughs> He was wearing 73 before the second coming of Michael Ryder. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, oh, man. it's It's been a wild, like, 10 years, essentially, for the Montreal Canadiens, where they probably should have been better than they were. And for a while, they were legit. Yeah. But, you know, bad coaching, bad managing kind of held them back, unfortunately. But now it seems like things are falling into place. And, like, I keep on saying, the fan base has never been this positive that I can remember. It just yeah. seems like either when they lose, all right, moving up into the, the lottery range, right? Like you're going to get the first, first overall pick. And when they win, everyone's like, look at this. It's all getting, the kids are killing it every <laughs> single time. And when they're losing, they're often like, they're losing. Well, if you know what I mean, yeah. they're not, they're putting up fights pretty much every game. I think Carolina is the only game since St. Louis took over where it just didn't look like they had much fight. And I think that came down to Carolina just playing an absolutely killer game. And they in the Carolina game, they fought back in the third as far as like the shot, the shot mm -hmm. counts like they were fight. But like Frederick Anderson was really good. And the rest of that team is really good. Like I was concerned in this one because I realized midway through this team hasn't played with a lead a lot. Like you look back over their last like three weeks of games, they haven't had a lead. Um, the Toronto game, they came back and won the New Jersey game that I was at last Sunday um, that they were down the whole game. They came back like playing with a lead is important. I mean, there's a, another guy on this network who knows a thing or two about teams who don't play well with leads, <laughs> but like, you know, you have, to, I mean, I understand this team's rebuilding, but like you can't let the devils get back into this game. And every time they got close, like you said, they pushed them a little bit further away. Um, you know, the only period where they weren't outshot was the third period. They were, they didn't sit back in the third. I think St. Louis probably talked to him in the second period and said, hey, we're we're letting them get away with a little bit too much here. Yeah, yeah. It was very clear in the third period that they wanted to set the tempo, you know, from the first couple of minutes. Scoring on your first two shots probably helps that. <laughs> but yeah. but they you're like you said, they didn't let their foot up off the gas pedal. And frankly, they had zero high danger scoring chances, according to natural stat trick at five on five through the first uh 40 minutes, which is weird because I think high danger chances on natural stat trick prioritize rush chances. And I just find it hard to believe that the Caulfield goal wasn't a high danger <laughs> chance. A breakaway. <laughs> it's a breakaway for Cole friggin Caulfield. And he and moved mean, it from like right in front of the crease, but whatever, what have you, they had four yeah. in the, in the third period, they outchanced them 10 to seven, outshot them 11 to nine. Like they, I, I love that they didn't sit back because this is a team that frankly does not have the defense core to sit back. No. no. And it's a team that we've seen over the last three iterations of coaching staffs puck off glass. Like just we're banking it off the glass and getting it out because that's the defense that the general manager built, right? He didn't build a, a defense that was mobile to move things out or that made a good first pass. Um, these are all good hockey players, but they're not, they're not built that way. Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely nice to see them actually, uh, you know, not not turtle, not sit back. 
Um, poor Andrew Hammond, though. I'm very I like he, oh, I, yeah. in, on the broadcast. They said he's in his two starts as a devil. He's allowed 13 goals. <laughs> it's just not good. Yeah, it, it hasn't been a, a great fit so far there, which is strange because like he came into Montreal and he was just fantastic. Just yeah. You know, like everything that you could want from a guy who you bring up from the American Hockey League just to solidify things. He just didn't give up weak ones. He was solid. He wasn't overreacting to anything. And the weird thing is, I don't know if he necessarily looked bad tonight. It's just like Caulfield's goal, for example. What a perfectly placed shot. Just above the pad, just below the glove, right? Like the release on that thing, like that kid. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's incredible. And he's got. Caulfield's got a repertoire at this point where you don't know if he's going to shoot it by you or do that little fake move to his right and then just slide it in between your legs and make you look stupid either way. Like he's not a one trick pony when he gets in there. It's it's kind of fun watching, knowing there's a really good chance he's going to score on that breakaway, but not knowing how he's going to do it is um, pretty entertaining, especially, you know, given hockey players are very, um, you know, they like patterns. A lot of them would go to the same move every time. Yeah, I think Caulfield's reading every goalie as he comes in and is like like a cyborg just picking apart the best way to get the puck into the net. I think he's got I remember there was a breakdown. I think it was Justin Bourne who posted it back like way back in the day when the shootout was still relatively young and it was on, I think, Zach Parise. And he was talking about how Zach Parise comes in on a shootout the exact same line every single time. But from a certain point in the ice, based on where the goaltender was and how they were, how they were positioned, how they were skating, all that, he had four different moves that he could make from that one spot. And he was one of the most successful shootout guys early in the shootout era, I believe. Wow. And he was saying, like, just watch him. And he always does the exact same thing up to a point. And then he has four set moves that he can do. I wonder if we're kind of seeing Caulfield develop his like repertoire of what he's going to do on a breakaway and uh, in a shootout as well. And it comes down to like, well, he'll have a few set moves that he goes back yeah. to because guys love their set moves. Like uh, you mentioned like Saka Koivu, remember his shootout yeah. move and yeah. how successful it was to like little shimmy shake yeah. over and then around the pad. And how we've seen Rem Pitt like do it four times this year. Like <laughs> it's, and it's funny, like today's opening day in baseball, the, the uh, one thing that baseball I've seen a lot of on Twitter, it's perfect in gift form is the pitch overlay, how a pitch will look the same. It'll look the same. And then there's a point where it just breaks into four different pitches. What, what sort of what it looks like that sort of deception kind of plays well into the shootout and a player like Cole Caulfield, who I think he's reading goaltenders really well. Same thing with Nick Suzuki, the, the shootout goal he had against uh, Tampa, he was coming in, and as soon as Elliot moved one inch to his glove side, it was over. Like he knew where he was putting that puck. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's awesome to have two really really smart skilled players who the coaching staff is just absolutely leaning on right now because there's nothing at stake, um, and they're just crushing it. Yeah, they absolutely are. A couple comments here so far. Uh, Rock Smasha says. Did you notice how Hammond doesn't have a new helmet, but he just put a devil sticker over the Habs logo? You can still see the edges of the Habs logo. Listen, man, I mean, how many new helmets has a man got to take in, in one season? He can't do everything. He's not he making just, millions of bucks. He just He's got allowed. new pads. He just yeah. had new pads made, and then they traded him. Thankfully, I know. to a team that wears red. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, at least it's to a team that wears red. You're right. Uh, other one is... Uh, 
Let's see what, what was one that I wanted to read here. Uh, from obviously a Devils fan, to think Hammond wasn't bad in this game is a take. I didn't say that he wasn't bad. I said he didn't look bad in terms of he wasn't messy in his goaltending. He still, still got beat on clean shots, right? Yeah. Like uh, the Jake Evans one probably shouldn't have gone in uh, if you're wanting a good goaltending performance. But like even the the Chris Weidman shot, Maybe he could have stopped that, but that was deflected by Subban's stick and then bounced off the ice. And, yeah. you know, it becomes a question of, like, if you save that, it's probably luck anyway. Maybe he saves the Dvorak one. It's one of the situations where, like, if it's your team, you definitely say, well, you want one damn save. Yeah. But you're when you're critically analyzing, you're also thinking, was this the reason why they lost? Or was it that these chances that the Devils gave up were particularly very good? And... Yeah. At the other end of the ice, I think Jake Allen, despite giving up four goals, especially through the first uh, 40 minutes, was really, really good. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think uh, Hammond even gave up the worst goal in this game. I think that's Dawes on the the Kale Clegg shot like that. Yeah, that might be top 10 worst goals I've ever seen. Like it just <laughs> that that he's not it's not a sharp angle shot. He wasn't that close to the goal line. He just beat him inside the post on a shot that has no business going in. Yeah, that was um, a bad one. Yeah. I mean, the Jake Allen, through the second period, kept the Canadians. It's funny to say in the game, in a game that they, they were leading by three at that point, I think. Um, but it could have I mean, gone away quickly. <laughs> it could have, especially like the, the, the Jesper Bratt save, where the puck was just like bouncing around off of passes, and he came out of nowhere and made a, a pad save. Um, he's been... Alan's been fantastic. They're asking him to do too much, but he's been fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Apparently Martin St. Louis in the post gamer says in a team, you need guys who play more for the logo uh, forward than the name behind Weidman is like that. So I would say after if St. Louis is saying that Weidman is going to be back next year, there's been a lot of uh, talk about whether or not the Canadians are going to bring Weidman back and how he'll probably be cheap and fits. I'm not a huge Chris Weidman fan, honestly, but I think my mind could be changed if it was somebody else running the power play. That's my main thing with him. Like he's decent, but I, I think yeah. there are a few times tonight and I know he had a three point night. Great. Fantastic. However, like Kale Clegg also had a three point night. So it kind of, <laughs> you know, take it, take it for what it is, right. <laughs> you know, but uh, I find Chris Weidman a lot of the time doesn't think on the level of like Suzuki and Caulfield. And I think I would want somebody who's manning the point to be on the same level as those guys in terms of anticipation and looking for what's there. I, I find he has that tendency to get frustrated and just try to like rip a shot through, but he doesn't have a good shot, which is something that Jeff Petrie does, but Petrie does have a good shot. So he can kind of right. get away with it a little bit. I, I think that they just need to find somebody else for the top of that uh, top of that top unit on the power play. If he's on the second unit, a little bit better yeah and you know it's like if they bring him back it's a one-year thing and yeah if they're if they're doing poorly at the deadline again they can move him for an asset like it's not it is what it is i'm not the biggest chris weidman guy either but um I, he's a cool story because like it seemed like he was at the end of his rope here like if he didn't make this work in montreal he was probably going back to the khl um but you know he's he's making things happen. I know points aren't the greatest indicator of how a team is playing, but he had two primary points in about ten seconds apart yep. from each other. He scored a goal, and then he immediately set up Dvorak on the breakaway. So, I mean, if you're getting good games out of 
Chris Weidman and you're getting good mileage out of Chris Weidman, good on you. Like, yeah, it's, not it a bad thing. No. And you know what? Frankly, it was nice to see Dvorak get some some uh, point production as well because I feel like he's been really good under St. Louis, and it's been kind of like few and far between his opportunities to, to finish, essentially. Uh, I, I like to see what he brought there. I think he is the guy that is interesting to me. I, I know that they're, I think they're still trying him right now in the top unit power play as the bumper. I'd like to see him stay there because I think he has the, the ability to get shots in and like roof them in tight and pretty decent ability yeah. to battle for pucks. It, it's kind of between him and Gallagher for me in that spot. And Gallagher just takes so much abuse. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if he needs to take it on the power play as well. No. And I, you know, it's, it's, it, there was a lot made of, of, St. Louis trying to teach Gallagher how to be more effective in different areas of the ice because Gallagher has one spot where he does everything. And as he's getting older, those miles are not going to be any easier. Like he's just taking a ton of abuse in front of the net. Um, But, you know, I think with the power play, especially, I mean, we didn't even see it tonight. The devils didn't take a penalty because the Canadians basically didn't play with the puck in the second period. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I, I think, we've got to see, I think we've got to see new personnel running the power play. We've got to see new, there's got to be a, a new, a new look here. Yeah. Um, because, because, you know, you think about, about Burroughs, he was brought in when, when Weber was still around to just say, we're going to funnel the puck to that guy. Um, and I'm, you're starting to see it a little bit more where even with a weapon like Caulfield, he's not the entire focal point of that first unit because you have to respect the shot of Nick Suzuki on the other side. Yep. Um, so I'm look I'm and I'm looking forward to the younger guys like Harris and Barron getting looks there. Probably won't be long term, but um, that's my one thing about keeping a guy like Weidman is like there's there are young players, especially defensemen coming up in this organization. Are you willing to take away chances from them like the Harrises of the world, the Norlanders when he gets here? Um, Gooley's probably not that far off from at least you know taking a stab at a roster spot. So you got to think that eventually you're going to have to clear the runway for some of these guys and see what you have. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that uh, Harris is probably going to be on the roster next season, just based on how calm he's been yeah. with and without the puck. Aaron, I, I like a lot of aspects to his game, but because he's so young, I could see him at least starting in the AHL next year, along with Caden Gooley. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like Caden Gooley is going to be the best of them. Like everyone that I talk to in the scouting community is really, really high on Caden Gooley. Like possible top pairing defenseman type guy, mean as hell, has some undeveloped uh, offense in his game, but like defensively, just legitimately incredible defensively. Just his anticipation is off the charts. His ability to read plays off the charts. But I I feel like they just don't need to rush him. You know, like no. that was the last administration where so many guys they're like, well, we need a guy, so uh, we'll just put the the kid in, yeah. and not really take care of them very well. And I, I feel like Gooley, it just makes way more sense to to stick him in the American Hockey League, and maybe he gets a cup of coffee at the end of the year, like these kids are getting this year, and yeah. he proves that he can belong. That'd be super fun. But uh, let's definitely save that and see what they can For do. Sure. I, I think Schooneman. I don't know. Do you pronounce it Schooneman or Schooneman? I feel like each broadcast has changed. I yeah. I I keep hearing Schooneman more often than Schooneman. 
Yeah. Has anyone asked Schooneman him? That, Someone's got to ask him. I'm if I bet you the main person who's asked him has been uh geez, I'm blanking on God. just like too much pressure being live. Gord Miller? <laughs> no, not Gord uh Gord Miller doesn't really cover Habs games. Um no, not being RDS. Oh. Yeah, whatever. I'm an I'm, Anglo. I don't get those feeds. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. Uh somebody will t- tell me in the comments. I'm just blanking on the name for whatever reason. The play by play person for RDS. Everyone loves him here because he's fantastic. Pierre Hood, that's what it is. Thank you, Philip Rodrigue. Pierre Hood. Uh, Hood always gets the proper pronunciation. So they're saying same as Schumacher. Okay, so it's Schooneman. Anyway, I think Schooneman, very roundabout way to say it, has earned a roster spot for next season. I really like his play. I think he's solid in in the roster going forward. May not be forever, but I think he's a really good third pairing guy that can gust up into the the second pair if necessity calls for it. Yeah, I kind of see him as like Brett Kulak light. Like he yes. seems like that kind of guy. Um, he jumped up into the offensive zone and freed the puck that ended up on uh, Jake Evans's stick for his his shot. I know it's like a, a slap shot that went in the net through a screen, but Jake Evans only scores cool goals. Like he does that was, that was a slap shot that went top shelf. Like I, that's a cool goal. I don't care who, who you know, who it's on. Um, but I, li- I like shooting in, the, the part of his game that really stands out to me is just how strong his stick is in the defensive zone. Yeah. He got somehow Jesper Bratt got past him. He's not the most fleet of foot, but he just turned around and he said, actually, I'm just going to knock this off your stick. Mm-hmm. And he like, you don't need to knock guys over. You don't need to beat them with your, with your skates. If you can just poke the puck away from them. Um, it's a really, really subtle part of his game that I've really, really enjoyed. Um, the offense isn't going to be a huge part of his game. I don't think, but it, he's still like a real feel good story. Kind of, you know, really unno- under noticed in, in his you know development. And then he just shows up in Montreal and now he's on the penalty kill for the Montreal Canadiens. Like it's really weird. Yeah. I mean, Jake Evans is, He's just a guy. Every time I watch him, I like what I see. Yeah, you know I mean, he's one of those like saw him good players, and usually his underlying numbers are like not great because you know either the role that he's asked to play is kind of tough, or he, he's not necessarily playing with the best line mates, or there's there's specific holes in this game that maybe don't show up as visually. But I I really like his anticipation, uh, his stick. Yes, absolutely. He got himself a breakaway tonight. Yeah, out of nothing, you know, just being in the right spot, picking off a puck. He it looked to me like he couldn't get up to the speed that he wanted to get the shot that he wanted on that breakaway. But the yeah. fact that he got it while the the Devils are pressing, that shows what kind of player Jake Evans is. Yeah, no, he's been he's been huge and a real a real nice success story from Laval. Like they need Montreal needs more of those moving forward. I yes, suspect there's been very we'll- few. <laughs> yeah, I suspect we'll get some like Raphael Harvey Pinard looks very good. Um, we're going to we're going to get some moving forward with a proper development plan in place. But for the time being, he was the one that everyone was like, see, look, Laval works. And it's like, well, one doesn't. He's the exception, not the rule. And his his development path was very long, right? Like, yeah, Jake Evans is already 25 years old, turning 26 in June. He played four years in college, then two years in Laval. And this is his, I guess, parts of three seasons now in Montreal. This is his first full season. Last year, he played most of the season, but beset by injuries. And that's going to be something I think that we're going to have to watch with Evans as well. I honestly am not sure how he's even playing in this game. After he went into the boards, 
a couple games ago. I thought he was going to be out for the season. And then he was injured and left last game as well. Yeah, he's 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 real unlucky. Yeah. I mean, he might be the the team's new Wolverine. I know that was Pacioretty's spot for a while, but um, it's funny. I was, you know, thinking about how, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, Mark Bergeron was never going to sign Jordan Harris thing because he was headed to free agency. And was there any, ever any of that with Evans? Evans got real close to free agency too. And I don't remember the general manager throwing his hands up and going, ah, oh, we're not going to be able to sign him. If he wants to go to Boston, go to Boston. Yeah, I don't remember hearing anything about that. I think there was less um, pressure in that situation because Evans was, what, a, a seventh-round pick? Yeah, that's true. So it was probably less – there was less suitors for Jake Evans, but uh, his college career was actually really, really strong. Yeah. I, I remember when the Canadians drafted him looking at his profile, and I was like, this this kid that they got really late, he might actually be something. And it took a while – but he's something now. I think in an ideal world, he's a very high level fourth line center. But as he's proven this year, like he can be a little bit more than that. Yeah. Uh, what's this uh, conversation here? Who is a sure bet to get voted off the island before next year? And the first two answers, Petrie. Yeah, it's it's Petrie. Yeah. Well, I mean, he voted himself off the island as well. Yeah. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> you know? it, seem, it seemed that's what Sarah Y said right at the same time as you said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I. It doesn't like. It's complicated, that situation, right? Because it involves families. And from everything that I've been told, he didn't necessarily request a trade so much as the Canadians intuited that it would be best for him if he was traded. And he was like, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm okay with that. (laughs) So I don't think there's any animosity between Petrie and the organization, but no, that will be solved this year. Um I don't know if he's going to be back this year, but uh, I if if Jeff Petrie has played his last game as a Montreal Canadian, I hope that people remember the player that he's been since the Canadians acquired him and not the player that he was for most of this season because they're two very different players. And yeah. I think he's had a spectacular Montreal Canadiens career. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm as you. Scott Matla is another friend of the show. We are co-presidents of the Jeff Petrie fan club. We both own Jeff Petrie jerseys. I had a shirt made that said Petrie for Norris two seasons ago. Um, I was ready for it. I mean, it's in listening to what Kent Hughes has had to say about the situation. I think it was in an article with that Arpin Basu wrote when he interviewed him at the GM meetings. Like they're very understanding of his family situation. You know, like they, he's hurt right now. They were like, would it make sense for you to go see your family? Like you haven't seen him in a while. They're in the States. Um, it sucks. I think he really enjoyed and embraced being a Montreal Canadian. There's not a lot of guys that get traded here and do, um, yeah. especially under the last administration. Like there was not only did they trade for him as a rental, but then they locked him up long-term twice. Like he wanted to be here. And then there were external circumstances outside of anybody's control I don't know if you guys know what's happened the last two years. It's been rough. Uh, that have it's it's separated him from his family. It's got to be really tough. Um, you know, I, I'm he he's one of the most effective defensemen the Canadians have had in a very long time. Um, one of the guys on this team who could play just about any way they asked him to. Um, I'll definitely miss Jeff Petrie when he's gone. I'll be rooting for him wherever he goes, um, so long as it's not somewhere that's icky. <laughs> yeah, no Boston for Jeff Petrie. No, that'd be gross. Uh, if he ends up in like, 
if he ends up in like Dallas, because I know I think his wife is from Texas, like that seems like a really good fit for him, especially with Klingberg on the way out of there. It seems like that seems like a natural fit for him. Detroit's always an option because his dad was a Detroit Tiger. Yeah, like it's just there's a lot of things that make sense. I wouldn't they're they're not going to have an issue making the move. Yeah, uh, J Bomb asks, is Price going to be here next season? I think so. I I know that the insiders have talked about how if Price plays a few games here, it looks good. Maybe he won't be a Montreal Canadian next season. I I know that there's a little bit more wiggle room in the off season, but I don't see in a situation where the cap goes up by a measly one million dollars how they're going to move that ten million dollar contract and. If they're going to withhold half of it at that point, I don't really see the point. No, like maybe they could get a third team involved, but it just seems like so much to move for the only reason I could see price being traded is, is if he really wants out and doesn't want to be part of a re right. Yeah. Cause the way Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon have been talking, they don't necessarily see this as a long rebuild. Like I think they see two years from now and four years from now, as like waves of players coming into the organization that will be impact players to build along into like Caulfield and Suzuki's prime, right? Two years from now, if they're decent, Price can make them a lot better than decent if he's what we expect him to be. Even if he's not what he was last year in the playoffs, if he's 90% of that, right? He's still excellent. If... Four years from now, that's when they're looking at competing. That's a little bit more dicey, but I don't know. I feel like they just don't have a replacement in the organization yet, and Jeff no. Gordon seems to be pretty good at finding goalies if you look at uh, his tenure with the Rangers, but it's a lot to ask to replace Carey Price, and if you start tearing things down too deep, I think it becomes a lot harder to dig yourself out of it as I'm sure Buffalo Sabres fans would agree with. <laughs> I, yeah, I am I think, and I don't mean to be too gloom about it, but I feel like there's a greater chance of Price playing a few games this year and being like, my body can't handle it anymore. Like, yeah. and, and, and the sun sets on his career, like, which would suck. Like, I'm not saying that is something I'm rooting for. Like, I think that, that there's a greater chance of that than there is of him getting dealt to a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup because that's the kind of team that's going to want to get him. Yes. Um, I, I thought maybe, like, maybe Seattle looks at their goaltending situation and goes, this didn't work. Maybe we try something else because um, I, I think there's probably some mutual interest there. Um, who knows? But I just... Like you said, like unless unless a ten million dollar cap hit is coming back, or a significant anchor of a contract is coming back, the Canadians really have no no reason to do that. Yeah, it, it would have to come a lot. Like to trade Carey Price, you have to get big assets in return, or it just looks bad. And the odds of doing that while moving a contract that big for a player his age is is just not very good. J bombs rolling with the questions here. So let's, uh, let's go with another one. He says, leads to my next question. Are you guys concerned about the tank? Does it really matter? I'm not because no. I think it's far more important for the Montreal Canadians future right now to get their young kids playing competitive hockey and, you know, trying every game, every game's playing like it matters, even though it kind of doesn't then like a couple extra percentage 
points of chance to get the first overall. Like they could finish as low as fifth and still have a relatively decent chance at picking first overall. And they could finish last overall and not get first. Just ask the Detroit Red Wings. I think yeah. twice in a row. Yeah. So nothing is for sure with that. I think the only thing really that finishing last guarantees you is you can only move down to third, which is right. decent, right? But yeah. there's like Shane Wright from all the scouts that we've had on the show, right? I've been not necessarily grilling them, but asking them over and over again, like, where's the separation in the draft? Where's like, where do you guys see the tiers, right? And everyone says, essentially, there's Shane Wright. He's the top tier because he's number one NHL ready. And number two is going to be the best player, most complete player in the draft. And then after that, the tier is like pretty strong for the next like five or six. It was like around around to like seventh. So if you're falling out of first, it doesn't really matter that much who you're picking. Like if you're picking second to fifth, like it's not a huge disappointment. That's when you turn to the Canadians new development program that they're launching and uh, Nichols, the new skills coach. That's where you hand it off to and say, okay, let's get the most bang for our buck for this spot. So it's either first or everything else is pretty strong. Yeah. And looking at the the standings, you know, Montreal's in 30th. Now the devils are right above them in 29th. The Canadians are closer to 32nd than they are to the devils who are right above them. They're only two points out of last place. They're three points out of the devil's spot, which is the fourth best lottery odds. I think a top, a top five pick is sort of baked in at this point. And remember there's three lotteries. They don't run one. So yeah. the Canadians, when they picked third and they picked Jesperi Kotkaniemi, they won a draft lottery. They moved up a spot. They were supposed to pick four and they won one. And everybody thought we were going to get Rasmus Dahlin. And instead they just moved up one pick. So I mean, everyone's saying that it's ruining the tank now because they keep winning until like the, the the Montreal finishes in last and the 30th place team wins the first overall pick. Well, now did we not win enough games? Like it's just, it's ping pong balls. Like yep. <laughs> just relax. Montreal, the year that uh, Austin Matthews was, was drafted, Montreal was one lottery ball away from picking Austin Matthews. Their lottery combination was like one <laughs> off. I forgot about that. <laughs> like it's, it's ping pong balls. Like it's remember the one that, that they used uh, the, the year that the, the bubble tournament happened and they, you know, they just put eight, eight balls into the machine. And they said, everybody has the same chance to draft first overall. And the Leafs one went up into the thing and bounced around and then came out. And the Rangers one went up. The, that's, that's what we're talking about. As far as like, it's all up to chance. Yeah. And you're, you're only fighting for, a few percentage points higher chances, right? Like yeah. you're not actually fighting for first overall to finish last. So the tank, uh, there was a comment here that I think nailed it from rock Smasha. There's 11 games left. The tank job is already completed a hundred percent. They're not okay. finishing above fifth. They're going to be in the lottery. That's the most important thing. And the way that they're playing right now, it is what you want, right? You don't want them to try to lose uh, or be as hopeless as they were under Ducharme. I think what I, it all comes down to for me is something that I've always thought ever since I got into like analytics and numbers, right? Is if you're an NHL team, control what you can control. 
you can't control wild swings and percentages, right? So like for a team that, you know, makes the playoffs and they're, they have everything going for them by all of the things that are repeatable, but things go all against them in the first round. Like I think of the 2013 Montreal Canadiens, right? Even under Michel Therrien, they decided to play a system that was high tempo, uh, really fun. It was really like that team was really good. They had scoring depth. You know, once they added Michael Ryder, he somehow fit in really well. And then they faced the senators in the first round. First game, Lars Zeller gets concussed. Brian Gianta tears his bicep. Max Pacioretty blows his shoulder. Carey Price blows his groin. That's in the first game <laughs> of a playoff series. And then Craig Anderson stands on his friggin' head. The percentages went against them. Things that they could not control went against them, and they lost that series. Still, in that series, I believe they held something like 62% of the scoring chances against the Senators at even strength. So they overreacted to the percentages. And I believe that was the year where they were like, oh, well, we're not tough enough because that one bench, or not bench clearing brawl, but the big brawl in, I think, game four yeah, in Ottawa. Yeah, the Fat Walrus game. Yeah. <laughs> the one where Press lost his marbles, yeah. 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 Uh, so they saw that and they were like, we're not tough enough. Let's go sign Douglas Murray, who was an absolute disaster and held them back for an entire year. You know, so the don't react to the things that you can't control. Continue building on the things that you can control. You can't control the draft lottery. You can control how your players feel, prepare for games, look forward to games, how much fun they're having that you can control. It's very clear from what Martin St. Louis has done so far you can create a fun atmosphere even in a lost season and frankly it's just more important than the tank yeah absolutely and it's it's everything that they do right like they're having fun in practice like we keep seeing clips of cole caulfield there was one recently of him fighting carrie price in front of the net um but also something that i noticed this week was uh, and you know going back a few weeks now is they they're replacing a lot of their on ice like morning workouts with off ice stuff like they had a morning workout in their hotel in New Jersey today, instead of going on ice, they were on the beach in Florida instead of being on the ice. Like they're trying to keep things as loose as possible. Just every asset of the team at this point, um, try to get their minds off of the fact that they're not going to make the playoffs and that they're just trying to become better athletes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's going to be really interesting how they grow out of that sort of baby fat, how they like, this is really fun right now, despite whatever is happening. Like if the Canadians become a contender and they win games against the New Jersey Devils seven to four, it's not going to be as fun. Then we're going to be like wondering, like, why is, why are we giving up four goals to a team like the New Jersey Devils? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's easy to have fun now. <laughs> and now is the time you got to take advantage of it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was a comment here. Uh, it was, who said it now? Uh, J bomb again, J bomb. You're, you're killing it tonight. You're killing it tonight. Cause I agree. We need to build a winning culture. That's more important. Yes. hundred percent that I think it's, it's not just a winning culture. It's also a fun culture, right? Like you hear, uh, people talk behind the scenes about how bad things got under the last management group, under the last coach. And, you know, I, we talk about it a lot on this show and I, I'm sure that some people are tired of hearing about it, but Frankly, things got out of control. I don't know if Bergevin was just on the job too long and he no longer 
you know, cared about it in the way that he did at the height of his job, or, you know, he got as close to the Stanley cup as he thought was possible for this team. And then with Weber gone and price starting the season off the ice in the player assistance program, he just kind of threw in the towel a little bit, but this team from the outset, you could tell something was not right. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about leadership on and off the ice. I mean, did any team lose more leadership over the summer than the Montreal Canadiens between Price, Weber, you know, Edmondson being out, uh, Corey Perry going to the Tampa Bay Lightning, Deneau leaving, like that, so many big players from that team. And, you know, I haven't mentioned Corey Perry a lot on this show, but I was watching his little snippet talking about Ryan Getzlaff retiring and how teary-eyed he got. And I was like, you know what? I forgot how much I liked Corey Perry as a Montreal Canadian and how much respect I got for him watching him up close every single game and how much he interacted with the young players and how supportive he was of Cole Caulfield. Even when the Canadians played the Lightning earlier in the year when Cole was still sitting on one goal and it was like in the warm-up or something or might have been before the game in the tunnel and Corey Perry came up and like gave him a big hug and told him like it's going to be all right you're going to find your scoring touch again i was like man do i love Corey perry (laughs) even though i've spent his entire career shitting on him well when he when perry came to montreal like he and just especially later on in his career because we're forgetting like he was a heart trophy winner like he he wasn't he wasn't a goon despite that being part of his personality like he came to montreal and he did everything he possibly could to keep that crest on like he Playing for the Montreal Canadiens meant something to Corey Perry. And I think that made it mean something to everybody else there. Um, I think, you know, Cole Caulfield's from, from, uh, where is he from? Wisconsin. Like it, like playing for the Montreal Canadiens, like, eh, you know, it could be any other team for a lot of people. I wonder like how much of that impact Corey Perry left on this, this team. Like when he took that high stick in the playoffs and he's it's just blood running down his face and he's running back out the tunnel to see that they scored. Like, that sort of impact meant a lot. I'm wondering who who's the next Corey Perry that they're going to bring in. Like, who's that next guy that's going to come in to to mentor a lot of the young kids that are coming up? Yeah, you know, and it, it can't be Suzuki. Like, no. it can't be one of the young guys that are already here. Yeah, and that's why I I remember I wrote uh, for the Gazette earlier this season that there was three guys on the team in the Ducharme era, like earlier this season, the first 45 games, who. Every game, despite what their results were, gave it everything. Yeah. Arturi Lekkanen, Kyle Toffoli, Brennan Gallagher. Gallagher's season has been an absolute disaster from injuries to bad luck to everything. Right? But he bleeds for the jersey. Yeah. Right? You know if Brennan Gallagher is on the ice, he is going to do everything possible to get the puck that one inch over the blue line, either to exit the zone, to enter the zone, or that little red line that's the goal line, just to just sneak it past the goaltender somehow. He's going to break his back to do it. And I think losing two of those guys, you have to keep the other one, right? And yeah. we talked about this on the on the last show with uh, Wabgisha Grice, that Gallagher, I know there's a lot of people who are kind of down on him this year, but I think he's going to be extremely important going forward he's going to have to play that Corey Perry role. And part of that is going to be swallowing his ego a little bit in the way that Corey Perry did. You didn't, you didn't hear one time last year, Corey Perry saying something behind the scenes or any leak of it 
that he thought he should be on like the number one power play unit or something like that or not play on the fourth line. He was just like, yeah, I'm an older player now. Going to do my job. I'm going to support the kids. I'm going to, in the playoffs, the, the one play that sums up him to me is, I think it was against the Jets, where he skated face first into a cross check to make a pass <laughs> across the street, across the crease, I think, to Toffoli. I'd have to look it up. But it might have been Kotkaniemi. I know it played. It might have been KK. Yeah. Or Stahl. Yeah. It might have been Stahl. I thought uh, Stahl was a Canadian. Stahl, yeah. that was the line. That was the line. It was Stahl, Armia, and, and Perry. But anyway, it created a goal. And I was like, man, this guy <laughs> will sacrifice anything to get back into the Stanley Cup final, right? And you need guys like that with a very young team to show them like what it takes to, to, to build that. Like it's building that culture, yes, but to make them care about yeah. the jersey they're wearing and that's going to come back to when you're doing contract negotiations like do, do we think that uh, Brad Marchand signs such a sweetheart deal in Boston if he doesn't get to play with Patrice Bergeron and Zdeno Chara you know guys who bled for the the B as much as you know everybody hates Chara for good reason and you know yeah. I think of him differently ever since the Pacioretty situation as well even though he seems off ice like such a great dude I yeah. just can't accept it. <laughs> I just think he's a psycho. <laughs> but they bled for that jersey. They showed players what it was like, and guys signed discounts to stay there, to stay around that culture. You need to build that in the salary cap era. Yeah, agreed. I'm, they got to find the next ones, right? Corey Perry's gone. We have all these fond memories. We got to find more. Yep, the next Corey Perry. I do wonder if this team, like, it wouldn't have been a magic tonic, but I wonder if they would have got so low if Perry was signed, if they, if they went that extra year. Interesting thought experiment. I love yeah. playing what if. That's all this season is, right? It's what ifs. What if uh, they match the offer sheet for Kotkaniemi? Yeah. What if Deno accepts the offer that was made, you know, so many more months ago? Like, are we in the same spot right now? But at the same time, that goes that goes both ways. Like, is Marty St. Louis here if any of that stuff happens? Because maybe the Canadians are just a little bit better. Like, not a lot but enough where you're like, eh, it's not worth firing everybody over. Like this team was so bad. It was worth firing everybody over. Yeah. It, it's funny. You know, I, you look back at, there's so many little inflection points, right? And yeah. one of the ones, one of my favorite ones is what if they kept Koivu instead of signing Scott Gomez or trading for oh. Scott Gomez. So then not only do you keep the better player, because Koivu was better than Scott Gomez for the next like four or five seasons, uh, until Scott Gomez was gone and Koivu retired a couple years later. And then you also keep McDonough. And then you've got Fleck, Koivu, Pacioretty, Subban, McDonough, Markov coming back, Carey Price. That's and a Chris, dangerous team. And Chris Higgins still. And Chris Higgins, yes, Chris Higgins, <laughs> we of never, course. We never get Tom Pyatt, so I don't know. I don't think I'd do it. <laughs> do you remember? This is... So off topic, but do you remember when they had, I think it was before 24 CH, they had like a day with a Hab TV show that they put out Yeah, yeah. and they had, and every time they would show at the beginning of the show, uh, like a highlight of a player's goals, but they had one with Tom Pyatt and he hadn't scored yet. It was like 60 games into the season. So they showed him like uh, beating out an ice. <laughs> Oh man. And I remember watching it. <laughs> I was like, this is so sad. Yeah. Oh man, that's terrible. That's like a meme highlight pack. Oh that's god. Boucher's favorite player too, Tom Pyatt. He was a hard worker. 
just no finish whatsoever. No. No. Oh my god. Scott Matlin would love to be on this show because we're playing Remember Some Guys. We His brought up Michael Ryder twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right. Uh, anything else about this game stand out to you, Ian? I don't think so. I think we've talked about everything in the last 10 years, so I think we're good. <laughs> it's true. We're a little <laughs> off the rails for sure, but it's fun. I think people are having fun. But yeah. <laughs> oh, Tom Pyatt. I'm like actually tearing up a little bit about thinking about that. <laughs> BDO and I see call. It reminds me of, uh, and I thought he was in the end a, a really solid hab, and he seems like a great person as well. But Danny Briere, when he first started out in, oh. in Montreal, and he went a very long time without scoring. And I went to a game, and they were showing like highlights for everyone, and all he'd scored was an empty netter. <laughs> And they showed his empty netter like three times in the, during the warm up. Be like Daniel Breer and just a shot into an empty net. It's I went like... to a, I went to a Habs Islanders game that he was he was there for the Canadian. It was it was in the peak of Michelle Terry and hockey because they won one to nothing in overtime. And I think the the only Danny Breer highlight from that game was he accidentally put the puck through like the little camera window in the in the glass during the game. That was like the coolest thing that happened the entire night. <laughs> he was a skilled player and Michelle Terrian refused to use him in a skill player opportunity. Like he's, Hey coach, I'm pretty good at the shootout. You could use me in the shootout. He goes, okay, never does it. <laughs> yeah. I, did you ever see any of the excerpts from Breer's book about no, Michelle yes. Terrian? Yeah. I remember there was a huge thing about, you know, well, well, it's okay that a coach is talking to a player like that. And it's okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was uh, the calling him out in front of the other, like members of the team and dressing him down in front of them as a veteran guy. Not very cool, Michelle, but uh, oh. I've heard many things about Michelle Terrian and none of them good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Would have loved to see KK under Martin St. Louis. That That's like the weird thing about all of that whole situation is like, I think Dvorak's going to be better next year. I think, I think he like right next year. He might still be better than Kokaniemi, right? Because mm-hmm. KK is a long-term development project. You can tell that from the way that uh, Carolina is approaching it. But every young player that has fizzled out under the Canadians, who's been in the NHL too early, I think back and I look like, what if they had a coach like Martin St. Louis? What if they had proper development? And hopefully, based on what Gorton and Hughes have promised, we won't have to play what-if games with the next generation of Montreal Canadiens prospects. They will have a legitimate development path that will be developed it'll be synergized between scouting between player development between european hockey teams north american hockey teams all over the place the plans are very bold and if hughes and gorton can pull it off to what they're talking about man the the montreal canadians have a chance to be very very good and that is extremely exciting yeah yeah for once to have an actual plan in place is is very very exciting yeah, 100%. All right, we'll close it out there because uh, if we play Remember Some Guys and go back through Canadians history, we could be here all night. <laughs> we could do it, Ian and I. We would have a lot of fun, and maybe everyone would keep tuned in, but uh, eventually we got to sleep. All right, so we'll do... Uh, Ian, tell us where we can find all of your work, and uh, then we'll close things off. Sure. I'm on Twitter at maybe it's Ian at Rabbit Habs for the blog. Um, subscribe to the build wherever you find podcasts. It should be just about everywhere. Um, weekly podcasts out Monday nights. I think that's all of it. Oh, and hockey newsletter dot party. There's dumb stuff there. Go look there. All right. 
Go check all that out, everyone. And thank you so much for sticking with the show. We had 45 crappy games. And since then, we've been a lot more fun. And uh, hopefully we have, geez, 11 more games in this season. I'm not, I'm not ready for Game Over Montreal to be over for, for this season. It's weird. It's going to be weird not being on this channel every couple days during the playoffs. I mean, I'll have lots to do because I don't know if you heard, but we're expanding, folks. Go to sdpn.ca slash careers and apply for Winnipeg, Toronto, Edmonton, or Calgary. But uh, Game Over Montreal will not have a lot to do in the playoffs until lottery night. We will be doing something for that. So stay tuned. Talk about it. Thanks to Ian. Thanks to everyone else. And we'll see you on Saturday. It's the Leafs. Oh, my God. The Leafs.